Hey there, you're listening to Past to Present, a social studies podcast by educators for you. We'll take a look at the middle school social studies standards taught in the state of Texas. Together, let's clarify some key concepts in history and think of ways to help students relate history to their everyday life. Today we're going to continue on our uh, Bill of Rights conversation, but uh, how was your Thanksgiving? Uh, it was pretty good, pretty good. I was supposed to go to Dallas, ended up having a last minute change of plans with a sick baby and a sick dog, but you know, we make it work. Yeah, you had family come in? My mom came in to visit. How about you? Uh, we actually went to Hawaii. Uh, what? I know, right? Oh my gosh. I, uh, I turned 40 this year, and so my wife surprised me, and I went with my daughter and in-laws. And You turned 40? In January. Wow. How does it feel? Uh, Wait. This past January? No, this coming January. This coming January. Yeah. So you're not 40 yet. I'm 39. Okay. So live up your last few moments. Well, I'm, I mean, I hope to live beyond 40. I'm this sure isn't like something out of like Logan's Run or anything. <laughs> I have never seen that movie probably because I'm not yet 40. Oh, oh, well, it predates me as well, but <laughs> m- many of our listeners will probably get it. I'm so. sure. I'm sure. Well, that sounds awesome. How was Hawaii? Have you ever been before? I've been. Um, I'm fortunate to have great in-laws, and so we've been a couple times. And That's awesome. It's nice. You like it? I uh, love it. It's my favorite place in the world. Really? Yeah. Mm. Kauai. It's the only place Kauai. to go. Is that where you go every time? Uh, we've been to Maui once. This sounds really pretentious as it we're talking. It really does, does <laughs> and I'm jealous over here. Maybe right. by the time I'm 40, I will have gone a couple of times. Well, I don't think this is going to help when people complain about teacher pay and all that, and they can cite this guy right here. So. <laughs> That's okay. Um, so we finished last time with the Fourth Amendment, right? Yes, we and, did. And so now, obviously, we're going on to the Fifth Amendment. The Fifth and the Sixth are probably two of my favorite to discuss with kids because they love to get engaged with these. Yes, so, I love them too. I mean, I like. I, I mean, personally, I like the First Amendment, and um, they're all the most important to the you. Fourth, don't yes, of course. But the fifth is fun too. All right. So, how do you? Um, we've been reading them, but I don't feel like we really need to read the Fifth Amendment. They get a little lengthy, right? I think what we're going to do is just kind of talk about parts of it that we've discussed with kids, and some things that we go more in depth with, but some things we cover honestly is what we do with that right so really that first part sometimes um we'll talk about the grand jury what a grand jury is i'm not going to spend a lot of time on that but the idea that there is a group that is meant to um determine whether you are you can be held for trial right it's kind of a farce of a system right now i don't hopefully that's not political but i don't know a lot about that part of this amendment is it the is it basically the group that looks at if there's enough evidence to bring you to trial really the the da goes to the uh, grand jury and i'm vastly shortening it The, the da goes to the the grand jury and basically presents things to them they look at it and determine if there's enough for a trial the the common thing said is uh, a DA could get a uh, ham sandwich indicted. Oh, I see. It's not a real robust it's system right now. It's just a right procedural now. check. At this point, it's procedural. If a DA does not want something to go to trial, they can present it in a way that it's not going to be. Uh, it's not going to go to trial. It, the grand jury system needs some work. There's a lot of people who talk about doing away with it altogether. 
And um, by just so you know, by DA, that's district attorney. The district attorney, just the government, the government's a, lawyer. Yeah, in case you're a listener who may not right. be as familiar with that. Um, then the next part we really look at is, um, nor shall any person be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb. I love this part. Yeah, you know, and it's not something that we're probably ever going to see tested on a star test, but the kids eat this one up. They do. So explain why. So for me, it's double jeopardy. That's what we call it. I mean, right. that's for everybody. The double so, jeopardy. Um, we just talk about the fact that when you commit a crime, mm-hmm. the state gets one chance, or whoever is prosecuting you, usually the state, obviously, or the federal government, gets one chance at getting... But you're at your trial. I'm not explaining this well. Well, what they get, they get a chance at conviction or uh, basically found guilty or not. Now, if you have a mistrial, they can continue to hold that. That means there's no decision made. Right. But on a when a decision is made, either guilt or innocence, they can't come back years later and uh, try you, try again, you again for the same crime. Even if there's new evidence. Even if there's new evidence. So, you know, that's why a lot of times they'll drag their feet and make, you know, the, the process of... Because kids always ask me... If you get arrested, how come do you get out on bail? Right. And so I kind of use that as an opportunity to talk about double jeopardy. Well, because they want to make sure that they get everything right in your trial, sometimes it can take them years, hopefully not years, but years to accumulate the amount of evidence that they need to put you on trial. Well, I don't think they get years because that kind of goes against the Sixth Amendment. Once you're arrested and indicted by a grand jury, you have the right to a speedy trial. Now, the... the, um, Defendant can postpone things as well, um, but primarily the, the the state has to be ready fairly quickly. So once you're arrested and you're thrown in jail, they can't just keep you in jail. And that's why I feel like a lot of times on these cases where we analyze things afterwards, like if you've been watching Making a Murderer, mm-hmm. that, that series on Netflix, in hindsight, there's so much more evidence. You can really take your time and sift through everything. Right. But that's because you have... X amount of time. You have as unlimited amount of time on your appeal, depending on when you've filed and what. Right. And so you have all that time to really think through the information and to make connections. The other side of it is because you do have that right to a speedy trial, um, they have to kind of put the, the trial together quickly or the evidence together quickly. Right. But that's the idea there for um, bail and why bail is important because you don't get you know, while they're getting your stuff ready for trial, you have the right to meet bail if you need to. Right. And so this one, the kids get into this because they just, it seems like a glitch in the system to them, right? Right. Especially when you're talking about a defendant could theoretically walk out the door and say, yep, I did it. Yeah. And there's nothing that could happen. Exactly. And so um, they get kind of fired up about that. Yeah. But I think that they do also like the idea that the government can't just keep coming after you. Right. If they've got a, a... problem with you or whatever, they can't just keep arresting you and keep arresting and keep putting you on trial for the same crime until they get it in their mind right. Correct. Um, the next part is, um, nor shall be compelled uh, to witness against himself. Mm-hmm. And that's the idea that you are not required to um, commit, I'm sorry, admit to a crime. Right. You don't have to tell the police any part of your story dealing with a sp- supposed crime. You don't have to say anything. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. It, it, it's the, the right to remain silent. Most kids have heard that in the uh, TV shows and movies and things like yeah. that. 
And so a good case to look at is the Miranda case, mm-hmm. which we call those the Miranda rights. Um, and the idea that um, this, the police have to, when they arrest you, read you your rights, make you aware of them. Uh, I wouldn't get too much into the actual what he was uh, accused of and what he admitted to doing because it's, uh, it's a little, it's rough. But you can have the conversation about, you know, do the police need to tell you this? Why would they want to do this? Things like that. What does it mean um, right. uh, for our kids? Right. And when you're talking about the fifth, you know, pleading the fifth and all of that, you can talk to the kids, too, about the importance of, you know, police officers are experienced. They know interrogation. They study interrogation. They know what they're doing. If you're just an average citizen and you're being interrogated, you don't know necessarily how to properly defend yourself. Mm-hmm against an interrogation of that type of nature. So even if you are innocent, even if you are guilty, you should always exercise that Fifth Amendment right until you have an an attorney present. Absolutely. Um, But it's also just the idea that you can't be forced. So the the government has to bring a case against you and they have to provide actual evidence against you as well. Right. And so... Again, the kids like this one, especially because they're a little rebellious and they like mm-hmm. the idea that they don't have to admit what they're doing. Um, they have fun with that. And, it, and what's funny is sometimes <laughs> you'll see them in class later on when they do something wrong and you're Getting basically them. interrogating yes, them. That. And they go, well, that's against my Fifth Amendment yeah. right, which I kind of love about it. No, I hate it. <laughs> I hate that when they throw the Bill of Rights in my face in the classroom and then I remind them that as a student, not all of the rights apply in the classroom. Right. But <laughs> yes, you've made do. a connection to it. And they, they do, they always... I mean, they know how to exercise it, which... Oh, they like that, right? That's the application phase, right? Right, absolutely. But I always just tell them, you know, how important it is to make sure that you are exercising that Fifth Amendment um, right there of no, no, um, not testifying against yourself. Absolutely. Um, and then the, the last part that I would focus on was nor be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. And I like this one because it gives you a chance to go back over John Locke. It gives you a chance to go back over the declaration with the kids. And what is it? You can't teach this without due process of law. What does that mean? Right. And so what is due process of law? Well, I teach due process of law as the fact that Everybody has the opportunity of a fair trial uh-huh. that you have steps that have to be gone, have to go through and they have to be constitutional. Well, and, and the idea that it, the due process of law applies to everybody. Exactly. The same method um, right. in that state or in the federal trial. And by fair, I mean pro- the process. The process. Is the same. Correct. Yeah. And then go back over those those natural rights of life, liberty and property and talk about those. And the kids will instantly gravitate towards that. Yeah. Um, and I talk to, the, to them, too, about the fact that your life can be taken away from you. Right. Your stuff can be taken away from you. And your freedom can be taken away from you. But it has to be with due process of law. Right. And I discuss with them how a lot of times people commit a crime and they end up getting off because something in the due process of law did not go the right way. The cops mishandled information. Um, the judge admitted something into court that should not have been admitted, whatever it may be, um, a witness lied or was later found that they committed perjury. And if that due process of law has been messed up or broke has broken down at some point, 
then you then get a new chance at a trial, or sometimes you are considered to be exonerated. It's a mistrial, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think also the nice the thing that we have with this is kids need to recognize the way the system was created, and it kind of goes back to that Blackstone quote of uh, our system is created so that you know we would prefer guilty people go free as opposed to innocent people going to jail. Right. And the idea of justice and what is justice. And that may be a conversation you have with your kids. What is justice? What does mm-hmm. that mean? Uh, because they've heard that word. I don't know that they necessarily have thought about what that word means. No, they definitely haven't. All right. Uh, anything else on the fifth? No, I think that covers it. What so about the sixth? The sixth. That would be the next one, right? I think so. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, the accused shall enjoy the rights to a speedy and public trial. I think... We, we asked the kids, why would they want a speedy and public trial? Why would the founders create that in the Constitution, uh, in the Bill of Rights? And I think with the right questions, you can lead them in the, in the right path. Let, to let them kind of decide for themselves and then kind of right. guide them from that? Is that what you're saying? Right. And the idea that they you can't be held in prison for a long period of time without a trial and it has to be public. That means it has to be seen. It can't be a secretive thing. Yeah. So one thing I like to do with this is have them look at the positives and negatives of that. Mm-hmm. So I give them speedy trial and I give them public trial. And we talk about what are the positives, what are the negatives. Right. So for speedy trial, what do you think like a good positive would be that the kids could come up with? Well, uh, you would hope that they would see that you, you don't just sit in prison. Right. And, or you don't have this holding over your head uh, for a long time. I mean, they can come up with a lot of stuff. That's definitely one that they usually get to. And then the negative of that is sometimes your defense attorney doesn't have enough time to adequately prepare yeah, for your trial. Yeah, and I think the system now is set up where you the, the defendant can delay a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the, the negative would be that the, the government has to have their has to have all the evidence right away, which you would hope they would have that for the indictment, but there's always gray areas on things. Yeah. Um, and then for the public trial, that's the fun one because the kids really struggle at first to think about the positive, the positives of public trial. They only talk about the negatives, right? They are like, well, well, first of all, they like the fact that they get to know everybody's business. Right. That's just like human that. nature. But then they also like the fact that with a, a public trial, um, the negative is that, you get tainted in the media before you even get to trial, right? Correct. And so it's hard to have a clean jury pool. Cool, you're right. Absolutely. But the positive of that is that's a check. I mean, that's a that's a check and balance right there in the sense that the people v- visually see what's going on in the trial and all the records are public. And so if something is not being done correctly, then we, the people, can see that and we can counteract that. Well, and I think this is a good example of how they did not trust government a little bit here. Right. They, they understood that the government needs to be transparent yes. and it needs to be open. Um, by an impartial jury of the state or district wherein the crime shall have been committed. My first thought on this is Declaration of Independence. Yes. It's a grievance. Mm-hmm. And the idea that... Um, you know, he has transported us among um, beyond the seas, and you got the writs of assistance you can go back to. So you have the ability, again, to bring in that past information. And the intolerable acts mm-hmm, where absolutely. they um, force soldiers to go over to back to Britain to face, trials, face trial for like crimes. And so I really think that while not as exciting, mm-hmm. they're going to connect it. Yeah. 
And hopefully we, like, we can use that to connect to the, the declaration. And one thing I like to point out to kids is that there's always exceptions to these things. So wherein the crime shall have been committed. If the trial is very public and they feel that they cannot get a fair, clean jury pool, sometimes they the defendant can request a relocation of trial. Right. And so a trial can be t- done in another county, sometimes even in another state, which is very rare. But it can be done. Um, the same thing with a public trial, Right. If there are certain circumstances, the certain people may not have to necessarily um, have the full public. Trial, well, right? It, like it, minors. Minors. We've also seen it with like some defendants, and this kind of goes a little bit further in the six, but some defendants, uh, I'm not sorry, not defendants, witnesses have been able to mask their voices and their um, their faces because yes. of fear of retribution. Right. Um, but that's really, really rare. Mm-hmm. A lot of this you kind of need to read as this is the minimum that must be provided to the defendant. Then the defendant can choose not to have a tr- jury trial. The, ju- the defendant can choose to have a judge trial. Right. And, or, and let the judge decide if they're innocent or guilty. Very risky, but um, has been used in cases and mm-hmm. things like that. Definitely. Um, to be informed of the nature and causes of the accusation, you got to know what you've been accused of. Yes. And and talk to them about why that would be, you know, the idea that you can start a defense. If you don't know what you're being accused of until you walk into court, well, then you're in, you have no ability to defend yourself. Mm-hmm. The next one is to be confronted with witnesses against him. Um, what I really like about this one is that um, one thing we talk about is the recent um, evolution of, like, light, stoplight cameras. Okay. And... Um, I was living in Dallas at the time, but those became really popular. And it's like every stoplight had a stoplight camera. And then my mom actually got a ticket, sorry, mom, um, from one of those stoplight cameras. And they sent her a letter in the mail basically asking her to join this class action lawsuit, which came against the, the police department of our city, basically claiming that it was violating their fifth, their, excuse me, sixth amendment rights Mm -hmm. in the fact that they have the right to be confronted with the witness, the witness, which would be the police officer at the moment of the crime. And so they ended up winning that class action lawsuit and they ended up having to take all of the cameras down and they yeah. had wasted all that money on infrastructure that they didn't need after all. Yeah. Most of those have been taken away. Yes. Um, and so uh, that's the subpoena system. You're not going to get too much into that, but I'd like to talk about it. Um, and then to have the assistance of counsel for his defense, the right to a uh, a lawyer. And if you can't afford one, one will be provided for you. That you definitely need to talk about Gideon versus Wainwright. Okay. Um, because that was not always a case. Mm-hmm. So that, if you read that, it says, and to have the assistant of counsel for his defense. It doesn't say he has to have the assistance of counsel. It's that he has the right to have the assistance of counsel. And for many years that was interpreted as you get to choose if you want assistance of counsel. Right. After Gideon versus Wainwright in the 60s, that was decided that it is a mandatory right and that everyone will be given uh, an assistance of counsel no matter what. That's the guy that was accused of breaking into yes. like a bowling alley or yes. something like that? I don't know if it was a bowling alley, but he was accused of entering and like and stealing. stealing. And he yeah. was guilty of it. Yeah, but he ended up, <laughs> I mean, it was it became an issue of, right. I don't know whether he was found guilty or innocent. I, I think would it was, assume it was in it. I think he was found guilty, but then they 
what he on appeal. I think it went through appeals. It did go through appeals because it ended up going to the yeah. Supreme Court. But I'm sure he. I think he got away with it because if the Supreme Court sided with him, then yeah. he has the right to an attorney and a new trial. Because he he actually tried to defend himself mm-hmm. in the original trial, and that was the thing. Is like he you if you didn't have the money for an attorney, a, attorney you could defend yourself. That's ridiculous, right? Not only do you not have enough money for an attorney, but you probably didn't get a very good quality education, especially in the '60s. Yeah. So you've just you know, offended our uh, our <clears throat> older crowd here, by the way. I'm so sorry. I did not mean. She's to a little offend. young. She'll learn. No, I'm just saying. No, like, I know. I know. You know, she... the education system's come a long way. It's not an offensive thing. It's something to be proud of. They did go to the moon, you know. Uh, did they? They did in the '60s with a calculator. Wow, almost the '70s though. Yeah, it was almost okay. All right. Um, so and, that's the Sixth Amendment. Yeah, Gideon versus Wainwright's a good one. It is a good one. So, would you do all these court cases separately, or would you do them, you know, on a day to day? I was talking today with some teachers. Is this something you could do as a gallery walker around the room, where you have different cases kind of printed out and letting kids kind of go around and talk about it, yeah. or do you spend time? You don't want to get too far in the weeds on this because you just don't have the time to do that. I think it just depends on what you want to do. For me, this is invaluable. Like, I can't not spend time right. on this. Um, just to, so I don't go insane because the last thing I want to do is lecture on the Bill of Rights and never have them apply it. That's Correct. pointless to me. But um, what I like to do is I like to give them all the court cases and then we just they work with a partner or a group and they get case one and they have to identify the summary of it, what's the real question, what amendment are you going to use as the lawyer for this defendant. Oh, yeah. So sometimes I'll split them up and give each group a different defendant. They have to One's the state and one's the defendant, and they look at the scenario. I don't ever go into all the evidence or get too no. deep into it. I know, I know some teachers who do it as like a warm-up. So during the entire Bill of Rights, they give them a warm-up or a homework where they go online and they look at the case and they have to decide this or that. But I like to withhold the outcome from them. Okay. And then they do the case, and then we talk about it, we discuss it, and then um, they give oral arguments, and then I tell them what the decision actually was, and I show them a picture. Oye is really great. You've got to go online to oyeproject.com. Okay. I think it, that's what it's called, but or org. But just go to Google and type in Oye. And O-Y-E-Z. That's right. And they have all, like, at the bottom, if you scroll down, it has the pictures of the justices and how they voted, and it gives a summary. Okay. It's super fun. Fantastic. Seventh Amendment, not the most exciting or one that we would spend too much time with. It's the idea that in a civil trial, when money is involved of a significant nature, you have the right to a jury trial. Yeah. I feel like the um, – I put a lot of emphasis on the Seventh Amendment. You put a lot of emphasis on all of Listen, them. <laughs> here's why. I'll tell you why. All right. I'm in my mind, if my kids ever in their life, hopefully never have to, but if they ever have to go to court, it's most likely going to be in a civil case. Possible. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's my hope, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, right. Yeah, I hope that they're hope. least likely to go into a criminal case. True. But, you know, we just downplay. A lot of times I would just skim over it and I'll be like, oh, civil, it has to do with money. Just remember that. But these kids need to know what a civil case is. So we talk about what is the difference between a criminal court case and a civil court case. Okay, yeah. And, you know, um, workers' comp, that's civil, right? That's going to be a civil suit if you file a civil suit of some, okay. some sort, right? Um, I always tell them the story about this friend that I had growing up. His mom walked into Walmart on a rainy day, and they didn't have a caution wet floor sign up. She slips, breaks her arm, 
shatters it in multiple places, and is unable to work anymore. She sues Walmart and gets $1.5 million because of physical damages. And the reason that they settled was because they didn't have a sign up. Like, you don't need a sign to know that the floor is going to be wet on a rainy day. But the issue was she couldn't work anymore. Right. So she had no way of taking care of her family. We also talk about the fact that divorce, if you have a divorce that's going through the Mm. civil court, custody. A lot of my kids deal with custody issues with their parents, and their parents argue over the kids and what they have to go through, and that's going to be civil court. So it's actually very applicable applicable to them, and it's important that they understand anytime you have an issue about finances with another individual, you don't settle it using fists or anything like that. Like You settle <laughs> it through the courts. Okay. You convinced me. You're welcome. See? Oh, and I didn't even say thank you. I just said you convinced me. <laughs> I assumed. I assumed. Oh, okay. All right, um, Eighth Amendment. My favorite to teach because it's a little bit, it's the most vague of them, I think. You think? Well, it's the, the language of... I well, don't know. I don't know. Second Amendment's pretty vague. Well... <laughs> okay, I'll stop. Yeah. Go, go, go. Eighth excessive bail should not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishment inflicted. So and what's excessive? Well, that's the thing. I always start this one off with asking my kids, what is cruel? What is unusual and what is excessive? And let them decide. Yeah. And they lose their mind. They end up arguing with themselves, which means I've done nothing, which is good. Mm-hmm. And I think they recognize. I love that activity. That's so fun. I'm going to do that. The idea of, and now you can also do, I, we've kind of talked about this before, is you could have a list of punishments that have been delved out in the history in the United States and go, all right, is this excessive or is it appropriate and let them determine and then talk about kind of what we've decided you know what is excessive what is appropriate what's not anymore mm-hmm. um and kind of go through there and you can have a discussion on the the death penalty and not that i would ever share my beliefs but you know is it is it excessive punishment um right. and looking at that from multiple standpoints pros and cons and letting the kids talk about that and i love talking about stuff like that because what i always bring them back to is your opinion is based on your experiences. Right. If you've never experienced crime in any sort Mm -hmm. and you don't know what it's like to experience crime, you may have a very different opinion about the death penalty than somebody who has experienced a situation like that. And so I love to just bring the kids back to that and let them know, like, it's important that you have your own opinions, but it's also important that you try to empathize with other people. Well, and I will tell you, you're exactly right on that because – uh, when I originally started teaching, I started teaching at Mans Park Middle School in Huntsville ISD. Two down, two blocks down the street was the Walls Unit. Mm. That's where they execute people. Mm-hmm. And when I came to South Katy and teaching, the very different worlds. I mean, we have we had kids at Mans Park who parents worked in the prison, but people who moved to Huntsville because of family members. Yeah, that were and in they the wanted prison. to visit them. And so it changes a lot of the, the conversation. Awkward. You're sitting next to the. Like you're a student, your your dad's in prison or your mom's in prison, and you're sitting next to the pe- person whose parents is the guard. Well, and that's the thing. Most of, you know, most of the people I should say a lot of the people who lived in Huntsville, there somebody worked in the prison, prison system yeah. or the the university, but it's mostly the prison system. Well, that's really interesting. But what I like about this is that it's fluid; it's changed over time, right? And I love that idea because we change, and kids can really connect to that i think well and i think that's when you talk to them is you know some people see the deck the, the constitution as a living document some people do not and that's maybe an overarching question or you know an essential question is 
is the Constitution meant to be a document that um, we interpret differently because of different times, or do we interpret it the way that the founders intended? Um, you know, because if we want to change it, somebody will not say you you change the Constitution. Yeah. And let the kids make that decision. It's a, it's a higher level question. I think it was meant to be changed, though. I mean, I'm obviously answering your question now, but why would they cl- include a process for amendment if they didn't intend for it to be a fluid document? Right. But you also look at cruel and unusual, and that doesn't lay out what, what the founders intended for cruel and unusual. How do you know? Well, it doesn't say what is cruel and unusual. It just says nor cruel and unusual. It doesn't say that hanging is a cruel punishment. Right. It doesn't but say. But don't it. you think that's kind of the genius of it? Is the fact that they knew to leave it up to the fact that it would change? Well, I think that they very easily could have listed that out, right? As burning at the, no, nor shall people be burned at the stake, but they left it to be very vague. I, I think, I don't know, I don't have any evidence to support this claim right now, but I feel that maybe they did that intentionally. Well, and that would be something that you could use to uh, express that it would be a, a living document. Right. Um, and so it's just one of those questions yeah. and it's to have the kids talk about. It. And I, I would probably not have that question with every class that I teach, no. but when you have that really high end mm-hmm. class mm-hmm. that you're always looking for something cause to they challenge them cause they're bored. smarter than you are sometimes. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, it's a good question to have. For sure. That's a fun one. I it like is. that because I think I could probably find pieces of the constitution that I be- I'm very strict constructionist on and then pieces of it that I'm very loose constructionist on. Yeah. Well, so what does that make you, a stri- strict or loose constructionist? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think it depends on what part of it you're talking about. Very good. But, and, and that's the that's the challenge of it. And yeah. that, that's why we're still having these arguments um, well after, the, you know, 1787. For sure. Um, the Ninth Amendment. There's only two more left. The Ninth and the Tenth. The Ninth and the Tenth. The most tenth. important ones. You think the, the most important ones as opposed to the first, second? <laughs> no, I'm, just <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding, but they are pretty important. Well, they, they did put them in the Constitution, so I would agree with you I, on I, that. Yes. So the Ninth Amendment, uh, the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. And I struggle with this, but the way that I read this and the way that I've read about this is basically it's that fear that the Federalists have. Mm-hmm. If we don't write a right down... If it is not in the Bill of Rights, it still exists. It okay. can't be you, – you cannot use the Bill of Rights to take away a right. Right, because the Federalists feared that if they created a list, that if they forgot to put something on that list, yes. or if times changed and something needed to be on that list, that it was assumed that it did Didn't. not have it because it's not on the list. I tell kids all the time, it's like if I was to create a list, I, I actually do it. I'm like, what rights do you want in this classroom? Mm-hmm. And they're like, we want to listen to music. And I write it down. We want to do this. We want to we want to go to the restaurant whenever we want. We want to talk when you talk. And so I just write it down. And then I pick something that they didn't put on the list. I give them a minute to come up with stuff. And then I pick something. Oh, you can't get out of your seat. But I have the right to do to go to the bathroom whenever I want. And then I point to the list and I said, yeah, but you forgot to put on the list that you wanted to get out of your seat and you don't have that right because it's not on the list. And that really cements to them like, oh, that's the Federalist's fear. Mm -hmm. Not that that ever would necessarily come to light. It could have been fine without it. But it's just the idea that we don't want to forget something and then that be denied. And so that would be something when we talk about maybe like the Patriot Act, like your phone. Yes. Do you have – they say nothing about your phone. Right. Do you, does the government have the right to listen to your conversations? Mm-hmm. Um, That's a fun one. 
TSA a little bit. I know that's kind of Fourth Amendment, but t- you know, do you because you're getting on a plane, we just give up this right to privacy, privacy and reasonable search. Yeah. Um, and so those are good conversations to have. Um, I also like to bring up really controversial stuff. We don't necessarily talk about it, but I just give them examples of like marriage rights. Okay. Is something that is not necessarily expressed that you don't necessarily have the right to marriage. But um, that's been in, an enumerated power, right? One that's not listed. Is that what they're called, enumerated powers? I don't know the answer to that. Okay. Well, I think enumerated means they it's are It's one listed. that's been covered by the Ninth Amendment, as in it wasn't listed out. Right. But it is a right now that the Supreme Court has brought that up. Okay. And so we talked about with the Ninth Amendment and the Tenth Amendment goes along with it. Yeah. Because, am I losing you? No. Okay. So the Ninth Amendment says... You know, in case we forgot something, those that right still exists. And then the 10th Amendment says that it will be dealt with at the state level for the most part. Right. Well, and it deals with there, – there's that part of it too. But let's finish up the 9th Amendment. Okay, okay. Sorry. Um, is there anything – well, maybe you are finished. Are we finished I, with the 9th Amendment? I was done. Yeah, it, it's it's small. It's short. It's just, it's just a concept. Mm-hmm. It's not – there's not really anything that you necessarily need to go into case law. I'm sure you could find a case that – deals with the ninth amendment but what i just like to teach kids is it's just the powers that aren't listed well and so maybe your introduction into this is having them read it and go all right which which of the federalists or anti-federalists would support this oh yeah and just kind of see if the kids can come up with that they're going to struggle with enumeration um construed is probably going to be an issue but i also think that's a a skill that they have to learn how to read these things Mm -hmm. um and you know it's it's like a math problem really Mm -hmm. you know a lot of commas. Yep. Lots of commas. For sure. All right, 10th Amendment. The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. Yeah. This is, the 10th is... The number one tested amendment on the star. <laughs> In the state of Texas, I am shocked that the state of Texas Surprising. would choose the 10th mm-hmm. Amendment. <laughs> so the idea is that if the power is not expressly given to the Constitution, uh, to the state, the United States, the federal, the federal government, government, then it automatically becomes a state power unless the state is not allowed to do that. What do you mean? Well, it says that second part, nor prohibited by it to the states. Basically saying, if the, even if the the Constitution doesn't prevent states from doing it. I see. Give me a, can you give me an example? I can't because okay. it's really awkwardly written. I get what you're saying, though. So but The idea is that if it's not a expressly written in the Constitution for the federal government, it becomes a state power. It's one of the most argued amendment probably between the states and the federal government, obviously, over and over and over again. Probably ignored by both because... You know, the federal government likes to use the Commerce Clause and the Necessary and Proper Clause and all that kind of stuff to wrap just about anything they can into that. But Texas holds on to it. So this is the Federalism Amendment. Right. That's that's how I teach it. And this is the amendment that, I mean, it's not the only way that creates federalism, but right. it's pretty much the main mention of federalism in the Constitution. Because to be honest, the Constitution doesn't talk about the states very much. It mostly just talks about the national government and what powers are there. Okay. Right? right? Well, does I'll, it, I'll does, go back and double check on that. But. Does it give licensing and things like that rights to the states? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know that's either. A, that's, I'm ashamed to know. say that. We, we should, should know. know that. 
We're we going to find to, out. We might have to delete this, this out. This is the fun part about this. We might need to delete this out of the podcast. No, no, no. Podcast. This is the fun part about this podcast is that it challenges us to learn. Like, I love that about it. So I've always taught federalism, and I've always taught it, like, this is the state powers, these are the federal powers, and these are the shared powers. But I don't know that I've ever actually seen it list the state powers. I think it's just implied. That very, that very well could be true. Yeah, and, and I think that it's that line right here. No, nor prohibited by it to the states. We really need to know that. Well, okay, so let me give you an example of this, right? Like the Tenth Amendment talks about the powers that are not listed, and we're just talking about the rights in general, right. okay? So if we're talking about um, marriage, for example, for years, that was just a state's issue. It's not even mentioned in the Constitution. Nobody at the federal government was even on their radar for years. And then in the recent years, it's become a very hot topic, if you will. if you will. Yeah, it will. The rights of marriage. And so... It's been a state issue. Well, recently, the Supreme Court made a decision stating that that, you know, I'm not going to get into the details of the of the case, but they did see a case about marriage and they decided to take that up to the national level. And so I love this one because it's the power struggle between the states and the national government. And they basically are bickering over which rights they each control. Okay. And to me, the federal government usually wins that argument. Mostly because of their ability to control the power of the purse. Well, and I would also say that who decides it? The federal, federal government. government. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> the Supreme Court is a federal government entity. And, and that supremacy clause. They cite it. They cite the supremacy clause for so much. And interstate commerce, they control so much through interstate commerce as well. So I wonder, I would, I, mean, I need to go back and look. Was there any contentiousness over the Tenth Amendment? And I, I guess I... Maybe it was to to keep the the anti federalists in those states like Virginia and New York kind of happy because the states originally had more power mm-hmm. even in the when the early days of the Constitution and Congress had more power. Um, I wonder if that was the purpose of it. I don't know. I, I don't. This is not one that I usually spent a lot of time on because I had a hard time making it relevant to the kids. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you necessarily need to spend a lot of time on it. I think it's just that, the most important. I think that they need to understand that. No, it's not. <laughs> I think that the kids need to know that it represents the principle of federalism. Right. In the sense of, look, these are the powers that these are the rights that cannot be denied to any U.S. citizen. But then there are some things that states can decide for themselves, and that's best left to local government. And even some of those things are not decided at the state level. They're decided at the local and the, you know, the county level. Right. So there are different rules all up and down the chain. And I think that we are well aware of that as teachers, but kids don't really get that I don't as much. So this is a great opportunity to teach that to them. Agreed. But I'm interested to learn more about it. I think I need to do some more I need research. to do some digging. I need to go back and reread the Constitution again. Light reading? Well, it's not. I mean, it's not that difficult. <laughs> no, it's not. It's, it's not. really not. But that's the that's the Bill of Rights. That is the Bill of Rights. Man. It took us longer than we anticipated. Yeah, because we just talk too much. I we, talk too much. Let me rephrase. I talk too much. No, we, we talk too much. It's we. Okay. Um, so we're closing up on this one, and... I always took too long with the Bill of Rights teaching it. Uh, my teaching partner sometimes shut it down a little quicker than <laughs> I did, but I was okay with that. Um, I just, it's fun to get into the what ifs with kids on this. Yeah. And they, they're engaged with it. It's important because they're going to be the, the ones in the future who decide these things. Everything in this is 
active. Mm-hmm. It's ne- it's not just words on paper. Right. It's active. It's in our, it, it's in our daily lives that these things are, this is what's going to impact them the most. They don't care about Jackson. Okay, they care about things that are going to impact them that they can relate to. All of them have experience with the Bill of Rights in one way or another. Even if they don't know it. Even if they don't know it. And what when they leave my class, what I want them to understand is that they are going to be the ones in the future who decide what is cruel and unusual punishment. They're the future judges. They're the future lawyers. They're the future defendants. They're the future um, district attorneys and advocates and um, social activists who are going to be deciding what, how do we control all of this? How does it, how do we use what's it? right and what's wrong, you know? Correct. And so if they don't understand it, then they're never going to be able to move to that phase, I don't think. Well, I think it's something you can use to hook them and, and maybe kind of guide them for future endeavors for themselves. For sure. So we're finishing up with this. Our next podcast will be over Washington. Yes, I'm so excited. My favorite unit. The most important unit, right? The most important Sorry, unit. Sorry, I've overused that a couple of <laughs> times. Um, Washington, and then we plan on taking a small break, and we'll come back with uh, court cases and things of that nature that deal with... Uh, political parties. Uh, political parties, our Hamilton versus Jefferson uh, showdown. Hey, you can't say it's a showdown. I like both of them. Oh, I see. I've, I've, you see. I've turned you. No, you yeah. haven't. I've always liked both of them. Oh, did you? Yes. You liked well, Hamilton once he had got a play, right? No, no, <laughs> no. We'll talk more about this this Jefferson qualm that we have. We, we need to do a whole episode on it. Well, yeah, we will. We will. But, yeah, we're going into the early republic, which is important because it's going to cement all of the things that we've learned about the Constitution. Like we've been saying, the Constitution is fluid, and so um, in or order is to it? see— or is it? But in order to see how it's going to work, we got to see what happens. And, so Right, and how the country navigates those things and, exactly. and moves through that early time period. It's kind of, for me, I, I see this as um, kind of that preteen version of America, you know, trying to figure mm-hmm. out how they're going to navigate life. I think it's just as important as the actual Constitution unit in the role of shaping the government. Like what George Washington did and all of his actions and the, the first Congress and what they did, it shapes the government just as much as the document does. Well, and the exceptionalism of Washington, and I know we tend to we tend to glorify idolize those guys, him. idolize, mm-hmm. but there was it, he he's up there with some really exceptional ways of acting and that we hadn't seen that often in other right. countries. Definitely. So. So that's all we got, but right. look forward to the next episode. Keep and, uh, keep grinding. I know yeah. it's the rough time of year. For sure. Four weeks till break. That's great. Alrighty. And thanks for listening. Hey there, thanks for listening to our podcast. Join in the discussion on Twitter using the hashtag pod, or tweet us at at pod. That's past, the number two, present, P-O-D. If you have a minute, please consider helping other educators find our show by sharing our podcast on Twitter or giving us a review on iTunes or Podbean. Special thanks to all those who helped develop the content for today's episode. 
Audio mixing for this episode done by Lindsay Stevens and music credit to bensound.com. All thoughts and ideas expressed in today's episode are that of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect the beliefs of KDISD.